Witcher, Season 3, Episode 7, Out of the Fire, Into the Frying Pan is over, and we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here, and though Rob and Akiva may need a podcast, hence the Season 3, Episode 7, series needs a lot right now as we cover an episode that shows a very uh, seminal rite of passage, I should say, as she tries to get her way out of the Korath Desert while coming face-to-face with several faces from her past, present, and perhaps future. Of course, I'm not alone, though maybe I am. I keep seeing this mirage in front of me. He has a big horn sticking out of his head. Is it? Is it Josh Wiggler? Yeah, it is. Uh, Wiggler's unicorns? No, doesn't quite I mean, that'd be way. very special. Josh, listen, it yeah. would not be on brand for me if I didn't address the elephant size thing, perhaps, in the room... Uh, that I noticed particularly on the second time watching this episode, that that unicorn's pretty hung. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, uh, honk if you're horny. There's the unicorn. Mike Bloom's honking right now. Speaking of, I think you should leave. I mean, should they have gone to that ranch that offers the horses that are of a certain size smaller Maybe. than humans? <laughs> it's possible. That's possible if certain people were around that horse and feeling a little weird about it. Yeah. Well, the person that's going to be spending the majority of the time with Little Horse is someone who doesn't need to necessarily worry about that as, yeah, for our penultimate episode of the season, we get something very different after the big climactic finish at Aratusa last week, which let me mention, Josh, I feel like the main thing we left on the table that I was unfortunately not able to bring up at all during the course of our absolute praise over it that episode was written by none other by our dear lost alum friend, Javier Grillo Marks Watch. Yes, I saw that. I also saw that he had gotten into a little bit of a kerfuffle on the internet about talking about the episode, considering that, of course, we are recording this during the Hollywood strike. SAG after and the WGA are on strike, and without their works, we would not be able to talk about mm-hmm, The Witcher to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, but during this time, it's very tricky to know like what is allowed and what is not, and are writers allowed? to promote their own work uh and uh javier griot mark's watch had been talking about out of the fry uh, not out of the frying pan into the fire that's what we're going to talk about today uh everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face uh and was talking about it on social meds uh and then got uh, uh clapped back against by uh by somebody on the internet and so he took those tweets down uh lots of wga members out in support of uh javi who uh was within his rights to be talking about the episode but all of these things are very complicated. It's a really tricky time. Um, all of that being said, it was an extraordinary episode. Uh, and I did not realize that he was the writer of that one, the sole credited writer of that episode. Of course. Uh, of course that episode was so good. Makes so much sense, Mike. Yeah, it makes sense now in retrospect that someone who obviously came from a culture that, listen, has a he has a very steeped history and, of course, check out stuff like Burn It Down and the stuff that he elaborated on in his own social media and blog postings. But the fact that he did have experience writing on such like a wide-spanning ensemble drama definitely felt like it had some DNA carryover and was handled so deftly with getting to check in with so many different characters as we really winnow down in this episode outside of the bookends It really is all about Siri and her journey through the desert. Now, Josh, if I recall correctly, the onomatopoeia you affiliated with this episode when we talked about it in our episode-by-episode recap was a snore. I'm not trying to get in trouble here. I'm not trying to get in trouble here. I'm not snoring anymore. I gave it another shot. I enjoyed myself this time. Uh, I think part of it for me, Mike, was not, um, not being prepared for it. Uh, which like you can't be prepared for something, but I feel like on the other side of having watched this adrenaline rush and then going immediately into this next thing. And I am not the, uh, the close leaner viewer of the Witcher, right? Like I think for me, the Witcher is much more of like the visceral thrill ride. I'm really into that aspect of it. When we get into a more contemplative episode of television, which I generally uh, typically love uh, out of my TV I think that that's not what I come to The Witcher for, and that may be on me. Uh, It may be on like me oversimplifying what The Witcher has to offer and what The Witcher's ambitions are and certainly its source material, but I don't think that I wanted that in that moment. I think what I wanted in the moment coming out of episode six was like, holy shit, you just raised the bar with so much momentum. How on earth do you keep this up moving forward? 
And the answer uh, was a come down, uh, a, a very important come down. Uh, please don't talk about that pool that Siri found initially. <laughs> <laughs> well, the unicorn was wandering around. Uh, that... <laughs> oh, stay away. No, you want to stay away from there. Don't get you horny, indeed. Uh, but I, th I think I wasn't I wasn't braced for that. And that's what the show wanted to do instead. So at the time, I was very snoozy on it. I think now, especially in light of the end of the season and like Siri herself doesn't have a ton more to do mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the finale, but she is going to kind of like have her moment. And again, of course, we have watched through the finale. We're going to be spoiling through the season three finale in this podcast. So make sure you have watched through the season finale up to this point that by the end of the season finale, she is going to she is going to call herself Falca, right? Like she's she's either like something really dark is happening within her or she is like taking on this other moniker and having this own moment of like, I don't know, there's like this potentiality of her becoming this uh, this like folk hero, this legend, uh, you know, beyond folk just being uh, the lion cub of Sintra. Uh, and so this episode is clearly like a really important setup episode in that direction. I didn't appreciate it at the time. I appreciate it more now. It is still not my favorite episode of the show, uh, but I do think I enjoyed what it was going for more. And I think the things that were accomplished in the episode were really important for the character, whether or not it could have been less of an episode. Uh, I still think probably like we could have reduced certain aspects of this one. All of that being said, Beyond the series stuff, I really love the Yaskier stuff in this episode too. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, I think that his I think his material is really strong. I know that you and I both really loved the Yennefer uh reunion, the 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 whole scene with the two of them. Uh I also really appreciated him coming to Geralt's bedside uh and like the the hurt that Geralt is clearly experiencing and Yaskier being so surprised to see the Witcher in this capacity uh, was really, really cool. So I liked that stuff uh, quite a bit. Uh, I enjoyed the series stuff more than I enjoyed it on the first watch. And I'm looking forward to hearing like your interpretation specifically, Mike, as a much more educated Witcher viewer than me of where you think this is all going and what we got uh, on the table here uh, to move us into season four and beyond. Yeah, so I agree with several points of that. Knowing where Siri ends with her essentially renouncing her magic by the end of this, which is something we kind of skipped over, which is canonical to be pursuing forward with assumingly a non-magical Siri, but someone that is certainly taking on this sort of burn the world mentality, considering the namesake she will invoke. Now knowing that compared to how the episode ends with Falca trying to be, you know, the emperor here, tempting Siri this entire time and her refusing, I think is a really interesting turn. I will say, I still think it serves as a really nice distillation of the character, someone who has been such a focus in terms of a plot point, now giving her an opportunity to finally be by herself, not dependent on anyone else, and finally reconciling through the lens of various strong women that came before her as to a lot of her shortcomings. We get certainly some introspection into Siri throughout the course of The Witcher, but this feels like something different where now we get to see some externalized, internalized thoughts, if that makes sense, about yeah. how much Siri, I don't know, high-key hates herself, it seems, and feels like she's letting her family down from a certain perspective. At least the first two phases she will run into, she has pretty much confirmed, are her subconscious. We can sort of talk through maybe what the Falca stuff means. I actually feel like watching it this time around, the meat was definitely the best part of the sandwich. I didn't not enjoy the Ask Your stuff. To your point, I think Joey Beatty did a really good job, especially with the Broccolin Forest stuff and a lot of the emotional stuff he was able to hew onto it. But part of me kind of wonders, just from a structural perspective, would it have been more enjoyable for me if we, like, snip out the beginning, snip out the end, make it a bold choice, just make it a series standalone Sure, showcase. yeah, I think that that's fair. I, I think, like, the scenes on their own I really enjoyed. Um, I think that your, your point of, like, cut those out and put them into the finale and just, like, if you're gonna make a mostly series episode, then just make it a series episode, I think is a salient point that I agree with. Yeah, so, listen, I think it's a necessity because... Obviously, the finale has a lot of stuff to take care of, and they necessarily want to pull a maneuver perhaps out of their other Netflix stronghold shows and make like a two-and-a-half-hour finale, even though it's quite the send-off to Henry Cavill. So I can understand wanting to, like, to your point before, immediately say, oh, my God, all this stuff happened at Aratusa. What's happening? And 
maybe it would be a little bit like let's reference lost again across the C yeah. to say, okay, all that stuff happened, but we really got to focus on Siri. But I don't know. I feel like all of our brains have hopefully matured a bit from 2010 well, where we'd be a, yeah. a bit more excusable to say, yeah, it's okay to just distill it all down to one big Siri journey and then find out what everyone else is doing in the finale. Yeah, and I think it's a different situation where, like, the episode you reference for Lost is, like, showing up with three episodes left in the entire series and is dropping mythology on you that really had not existed yet and is now being set up as, like, okay, here's the MacGuffin for the finale. You know, like, that's a hard pill to swallow, I think, especially to your point on those podcasts if some of the MacGuffin uh, looks kind of cheesy. Uh, here, I, th I feel like what we are getting with Siri, my criticisms of the episode aside, are like, this is like um, payoff in a lot of ways. I think like this is like sort of like um, climactic reckoning that's happening for Cirilla uh, in this moment that like, this is the fire, this is the power that's been within you all along. Fire magic has been a part of The Witcher for so much of the show and has been typically associated with nefarious parties. Um, the idea that she can tap into this and, you know, even during her training montage in the first episode of season three, you know, like uh, a lot of uh, the the elemental, um, you know, powers within her and like what is, you know, what 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 can she do and what can't she do? That this has always been something that has been a part of her and for her now that she is unchecked, uh, like she's once again on her own, but she's on her own on the other side of all of her experiences that she's had leading to this moment. Um, she has like this huge amount of desperation for survival. It's very bleak for her in this moment in time. Like, I think it all is paying off the investment in these ideas of like, Siri, you're so powerful. You're so powerful. You can change the world. All of this stuff. Um, you know, there's like shades of Daenerys within this mm. character along the way. And I feel like this yeah, is a big mother of dragons. <laughs> yeah, this is a big mother of dragons moment. Like, this is like a big, like, season one finale of Game of Thrones moment for mm -hmm. Cirilla. And I think that it pays off well. Uh, and I think like, if you are if you are just leaning into her so much as a character, I think that you're, you're bringing up a really wise point that like, maybe that should just be the episode. Um, my, my uh, recommendation for how we talk about this one, Mike is like, can we talk about her stuff and then we'll talk about the ask your business yeah. at the end. Yeah. Let's keep them separated much like the characters do. I will also say, as we start off with the series stuff, this is the closest. I feel like the show has asked to also hewn to the books. There's an entire chapter in a time for contempt about Siri wandering around in the Korath desert. Oh, nice. And again, speaking towards that adaptation aspect and the good and bad stuff that comes with it, I do find it interesting that some people, including I believe IMDb raters, have said it's the worst episode of the series. They hate it. They feel like it drags on, that it's boring. And it goes to show that like, hey, good adaptations do not necessarily have to be a one-for-one -one recreation of what you read in the source material. It is, as the name says, an adaptation from a creator's perspective. I think you and I are not necessarily in that boat wholly, especially after re-watching the episode. But I do think that's a really interesting fact that just because the thing tries to recreate this like seminal moment in the books beat by beat, does not necessarily mean for some people that means fantastic content automatically. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. All right, well, let's open up in the desert, much like the portal does. And Siri gets her first test almost immediately here as she has to pop her shoulder back into place. And she's going to try the usual stuff. She still has that medallion from Yennefer that can essentially send out the ping, the find my phone app. She tries to do it. It's not working. No. And Josh, as she is trying to figure out where she is and what she's doing, we will also get a glimpse of the mysterious hooded figure in the horizon that will turn out to be Falka. Yeah. So, so Falka is uh, stalking uh, Stalka. Stalka. Uh, Siri through the through the desert. Um, and I, I think when we were watching it, my first thought I'd said to you is like, that's just going to be future Siri, right? Like this is some sort of like older version of herself. And no, it was not. It was not that. Yeah, that would have been interesting. I mean, we certainly know that space jumping is a thing based on the portals of it all. I don't know if time jumping is a thing. I guess Avalak, which is a character that I brought up back in Volume 1, technically time jumped. I suppose the portals do both. Future Siri would have been interesting. Could it have been like a looper thing where uh -huh. now she has to kill the future version of herself? Yes. Uh, so it would be uh, someone in some... So I guess it was... 
I guess it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt who did the prosthesis to look more like Bruce Willis. So I mm-hmm. guess it would be like the older Cirillo would have to wear prosthesis to look more like the younger Cirillo. And hopefully not that much prosthesis. Yeah. Uh, Frey Allen looks like, you know, beautiful, but I would say like a fairly regular set of facial features yeah. compared to yeah. Bruce Willis. It's the weirdest part of Looper for me. And that's strange because Looper is like a really weird time travel movie with mm. also some Acura elements. But there is uh, for sure uh, a very strange, uncanny valley, uh, valley quality to Joseph Gordon-Levitt has like this strange nose chin combo to make him look more like Bruce Willis. And I don't think it necessarily makes him look more like Bruce Willis. It more makes him look like he's got putty on his face. It's like when Andy Samberg goes under disguise, looking like Jason Siegel towards the end of pop star, never stop, never stopping. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. So luckily we don't have to go in that direction. Instead, it's just the malevolent spirit of Falca that is watching her this entire time. Now, let me put this out here, Josh, because we know, and again, Siri confirms that Pavetta and Calanthe are both part of her subconscious. Do you think Falca is as well, that this is some sort of like dormant memory that lies in her bloodline, or do you think this is something different? So I so I think like the final fantasy fan in me uh, thinks that this is a character and not just her inner monologue. And even even if it is like, even if it is something that is like within her her like ancestral history and like in it's in the blood uh, that I think that there is somehow like a character reaching out to her through that and that it's not just some sort of like internal conflict that Siri is facing though even if it is uh, I believe it's Dumbledore who says uh, who mean who says that doesn't mean it's not real mm-hmm. um, but I think that there is like a very uh, a very compelling path forward if this is a character who is trying to whisper sweet nothings into Siri's ear and is later going to have to be dealt with and is going to be like a really compelling adversary for Siri specifically because I don't know if this is the hot take or not, Mike, but I do feel like a lot of what uh, Falka is saying to Siri is like, it's stuff that Siri like is absolutely like well within her rights to act on and is correct in so many regards. But I think like is coming from such a broken and uh, injured individual as to now like have like missed the forest for the trees kind of vibe, like more on the dark side than the side of good anymore. Um, And so I think that um, I think that Siri at some point learning to like wield this magic and, um, like destigmify it and find ways for like uh, this to be wielded properly and responsibly. Uh, like uh, fire represents your life, right? Mm. Like uh, you know, it's not always have having to be like associated with destruction. Oh, did Siri basically quit this game of Survivor? Basically, and saying like, I will not embrace the fire. I no. renounce my my magic here. She's on the edge. Uh, that I think like she'll get there, and I, I think mean, that Falca- horse was on the edge. I think <laughs> what he was packing. I think Falca being an adversary on her way towards that kind of moment uh, feels right to me. So the next little bit of time we'll get with Siri is pretty much survival beat for beat. Something that people have been saying that I noticed as well, Josh, is the the malign trope, I would say, of the actors when they're alone speaking out loud what feels a little unnecessary. Like, for example, after Siri walks all night, she finds herself back where she started and she says, oh my God, I've been walking in a circle all night. I don't know if that's something that perturbs you as much as it does them. But once I saw that critique, I couldn't unsee it when watching the episode. Interesting. Yeah, I had not really thought about that, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I could see it as a necessity. Again, I'm not entirely sure. There might be people who are looking at their phones while something else is on and perhaps are a bit distracted from the visuals of it, although they shouldn't be. I feel like filming in Morocco, this was such a disparate setting compared to what we're used to on the yeah. continent. And it really was absolutely beautiful, but maybe they're doing it for those people. I found it a little unnecessary and repetitive, but I wouldn't say it was like my episode ruining least favorite part. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, And I will say also, there's some really nice moments outside of her explaining the obvious, like as night hits and she's kind of deliriously wandering around, she sings a song to herself as she pontificates on these magical moments with her family back from the premiere Interestingly, Josh, if you don't click next episode automatically when this episode finishes, you get to hear Freya Allen in a much more cogent state 
singing the song and she does it very beautifully. She does do it very beautifully. And I like uh, I like the music sort of like having some semblance of like, I think I think like sing, singing in a moment like this can be like sort of this like hopeful moment, but also it can convey a sense of like danger too of like, I have to be singing to myself right now. Otherwise, I have to admit that I am totally, totally alone here in this scary, spooky desert. Uh, so I liked it as a as a as a grace note for the episode for sure. Yeah, many grace notes as well. I also think she just has a really nice like timbre to her voice. Obviously, we look to Joey Beatty for our main musical moments, but. I just love the specific way she sang the song in the credits. So again, really recommend that people listen to that. And Siri's about to come into contact with something magical as well as she finds a pool of what she thinks is water. It ain't water. It appears to be a trap that is laid yeah, by this uh, gooey sand creature. Luckily, we don't get a name for this creature, right? We don't know what it is. No, and I believe this is different from the crab-like creature that is going to unfortunately eviscerate poor little horse later on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sad. What are you going to do? Poor little horse. Little horse is going to be okay. Little horse is going to be fine. Little horse will be fine. In fact, you could say the reason why Siri ends up in the situation that he does is because of little horse. Yeah, that's right. So she is going to luckily be belayed from spending too much time in there by Little Horse. It should be mentioned again, unicorns are considered sort of creatures of myth on the continent. Uh, that Yennefer had said that she had met one in the past, but nobody feasibly has just because unless you've been around for hundreds of years, you don't stand a chance of doing so. She is going to attempt to follow him like some sort of spirit guide, uh, but it will not be her guide, at least in this moment. She'll get caught up in a sandstorm, and this is where she starts getting anxious. She starts talking to herself, saying no one will find her, and she's lost forever. And then her her psyche's like, yeah, you know what? That's a great idea. Can we, like, verbalize that in the form of an actual person as Siri's going to try to find herself some breakfast by horking down a bunch of lizard eggs? She is greeted by the first ghost of Christmas past in the form of her mother, Pavetta. I still think that she should have taken the eggs and, like, put them on a rock in the sun and sat down for a little while and then the eggs probably would have cooked on their own i mean beggars really can't be choosers at this rate the only i guess rocky would do it right like rocky would crack the egg and just like slurp it down so you know yeah and she'll probably be crapping thunder by the end of this uh yeah and also let's fire at least yeah let's mention the fact that she hasn't eaten anything since what seemed to be josh was that like a tin of aloe or something because she had it in her stuff before she rubs it on her face and then she eats the rest of it i was very confused as to what that was supposed to be i have no idea and if you're confused then i do not stand a chance <laughs> it had to be clearly something topical that's also edible does everyone on the continent just like travel around with pouches of aloe i mean we should probably be doing that in our world too Siri is used to being on the run yeah so maybe it's just okay this is my to-go bag sure. uh, yeah. or maybe she grabbed it when she was running away remember she initially escaped thinking okay i'm gonna get on the boat and continue to run away from my captors but that was an interesting moment i'm not sure if it's something that should not be eaten that she ate or something that could be eaten that she put on her face initially yeah well either way uh whether or not that's aloe uh her ghost mom is saying hello to siri (laughs) in this moment and she's providing some burns yeah and i'm really glad that siri knows up front this isn't real. This is a good thing about the character. We saw this even back in the season two finale when she is taken into this reverie of living with her now dead family by Voleth Mir. That Siri is someone to almost always like pinch herself and know it's a dream. It's going to turn from dreamlike to a nightmare though very soon as Pavetta is going to turn pretty nasty. She's going to say like, well, 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 look at you abandoned once more. You never take fault with what you've done, you little shit. The people in your life want to do best by you, but it's not enough. You, my child, are a heavy weight to bear, implying as much as Geralt was happy, relieved to see her run into that tower and possibly never come back. Perhaps when you get down to it, you are too much for everyone. And again, what I'll give a lot of credit to Siri for as a character is, A, she immediately knows that she is talking to herself, and B, she claps back at herself she is not succumbing 
to these urges that are telling her, like, why yeah. not just end it all? You are inflicting so much harm around the people that you love. You'd be better off dead, which, like, listen, as someone who has been there before, it can be a very toxic, slippery slope. But Siri has that dexterity to be able to hang on and talk back to her mother to the point where she says, like, you, you abandoned talk me. Yeah, you want to talk about feeling abandoned? How about the fact that you and my dad got on this boat and left me behind? I don't even know you, dude. Yeah, yeah. I thought that that was really powerful. And she's like, you abandoned me. Uh, like, what are you talking about? I abandoned you uh, or that I'm a burden. Um, yeah, I think that, like, this is this is like very sad stuff that's like reflective of the emotional baggage that Siri carries around, obviously. And so like it is this double thing of like the anger that she feels towards her parents, but also like her greatest fears that even the people that she loves and reveres the most would feel this way towards her that like you have been nothing but a burden uh, on the people who have tried to care for you and the people that you care about who are caring for you would be much happier if they didn't have to care for you at all, which is for sure not the case. Uh, look at the the fervor with which Geralt and Yennefer are going to uh, look for her, uh, have in the past and will in the future. Uh, so she's, she's clearly wrong about it, but it is very relatable, these kinds of insecurities, and they're made manifest here in the desert. Yeah, so I really appreciate that immediately she is not going to crumble. And in fact, she will become even more emboldened as the second ghost shows up. But we'll talk about that in a bit because Siri needs to chase those eggs with the mama lizard proper. She, in pure anger, beats it against a rock and just digs in and no surprise josh she regrets it immediately instantly yeah uh i don't feel so good yeah so me hurts and i mean i'm also trying to figure out like on what level is it her tripping from taking in this poison lizard versus her magical ability where like all these voices are mixing together series saying Geralt and Jennifer need me Pavetta is echoing in her head talking about being abandoned Falka is gonna say like do you want to hear a story and then Kalanthi just gives her a big wake up Cirilla and then she starts seeing like these images of Jennifer and Geralt suffering that will bring her to this sort of purgatorial place that now we know in retrospect is this tavern that she is going to stage an escape from alongside the rats next episode yes yes so uh, yeah, she's going through a lot, man. I don't know. I think like if I ate a raw lizard in the desert, I probably also would be just like tripping balls. So it's hard to blame her if it's just that. But it's also Siri and there's always something a little more complicated going on. What if that was the big reaction at the end of the day is like, no, it wasn't your ancestor. It wasn't some sort of magical temptation to the dark side. You just had some bad lizard and some you made bad lizard, happen. man. This is why you shouldn't do anything when you have a bad trip. Lock all your electronic devices That's right. away. <laughs> that's just right. Chill out, put on some Pink Floyd, and ride the wave. Yes, that's correct. Though no waves are to be seen. But here is Falka. She's not going to officially reveal her identity right now, but of course we know who she is. She reveals herself as the past, and this is the future. So maybe this is leaning towards a bit in the camp of in series head, considering that we know from the visions that she has that she is able to see possibilities of the future. She talks about how powerful women have been labeled insane since the dawn of time. It's bullshit. And here's Falka pulling a Vilgefortz by saying, we're not so different, you and I. We're both insane princesses abandoned by the people who were supposed to protect them. But while your family died, I had to do the dishonor of killing them. She reveals that she killed her father, but honestly, it was the system that failed me most. Father was just a spoke in a wheel that had been rolling for generations. Siri is going to immediately get over the weird of it all and ask if things will ever change, that she still believes she has the power to change things. And Falka will reply, you're not the first person to feel that way, but you, my friend, you could be the last. And I do love the small distortion that's made on the phrase, my friend, in the sound mixing, because again, I feel like that perfectly reflects the tempting snake in the tree of knowledge, right? Like, I know you're about to do something bad, but I'm going to appeal to your good side here. I'm just your gal pal right now. I'm just your gal pal right now. Yeah, this is why I feel like um, 
if this ended up being something of a direct adversary for Siri, I think it would be cool. I think it'd be cool to set this up and like the path not taken, right? Like I think like she can look at this, at this person as like someone who was absolutely wronged and maligned, but might still be wrong now. Uh, like after like years and years of like ancient existential torture uh, as a ghost or whatever. Uh, like, I feel like there's, there's a lot of room there to give Siri someone to like sort of, um, like a good role model of, of what you could have been and also what not to be uh, and what you could be instead. So I think it's a really interesting dynamic and I, I look forward to seeing how that continues to evolve. The fact that she's going to take her name uh, by the end of the finale and that's like the landing point of the season is interesting to me in that regard uh, and makes me wonder like how off the mark I am or is it like, she's going to take the name and make it her own or what. Um, so lots of questions still. Yeah. For someone that's going to introduce herself to Siri saying this is a possible future. I think you could look at Falca as a possible future for Siri as well. That's someone that had this very independent state of mind of, I don't need anybody. In fact, I am toxic to everybody around me that it's better that I am on my own. And even though Siri does adopt this identity, it'll be interesting to see how much she does truly carry forward from their time together, but they are going to set apart, at least for this brief portion of time, Little Horse is back. And ironically enough, Josh, now it is the horse to lead someone to water and make uh -huh. them drink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gosh, the shoe is on the other hoof. Yeah, uh, but it turns out to be successful here as finally Siri is supped and good on her for being like, oh, little horse, here's like your finder's fee. Have some water as well. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that that might be it. Just uh, share the wealth. Solidarity. Let's get to ghost number two here as Siri happens to stumble upon a bunch of bones in the ground and we talk to somebody who the bones might as well be their money here is the spirit. So are their sandworms. Yes, as the, who is Calanthe, which of course is Ciri's grandmother, the previous queen of Sintra. I was thrilled to see Calanthe. I thought Calanthe uh, was one of my favorite characters in season one. Uh, just like a real, real cool character who has like um, a very, very strong, clear vibe. Uh, yeah, that's the thing is I agree when she comes onto the scene, she is a badass. She is a warrior queen, which is something we certainly don't see a lot in fantasy. So I love her just coming in right off the battlefield, commanding this spirit. Unfortunately, with Calanthe, I feel like the more we found out about her posthumously, sure. the worse she looked. And she is awful in this episode. Now, I put her in quotations, right? Because, again, this is serious subconscious, but... Good God, is this character just an absolute nightmare? Yeah, uh, literally right now at this moment in time is a nightmare. Uh, so, you know, very apt. Uh, but I think that for me, um, it's Jodie May who who plays the character. Like, it, I have like, you know, uh, you know, stopping short of like the value judgment of the character. I think that the performance is, is really, really, really cool. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of hers for, for a while. Has a, a, a tremendous, tremendous iconic role for me at least in last of the mohicans uh and it's just really really terrific and so seeing her come back and seeing the um like the psychic impact and the fact that she is not far from series thoughts uh was was a great thing to to behold in this episode that's going to be interrogating so much of series interiority so i was i was thrilled to see her and i do remember in season one being so bummed that you know that she is gonna die uh mm -hmm. that we're not gonna have her for long yeah the first uh, episode was... ends with her yeah. throwing herself out the window because she's been mortally but wounded. the timeline wonkiness you know allowed her to continue on in many ways so uh yeah it was always it was always great whenever she would pop up and i was glad to see her here in uh in this flashback portion yeah, and i think it's very meaningful for siri as well because obviously you'd think on paper okay her mother is more important to her than her grandmother but remember she didn't know her mother her mother as siri says herself abandoned her when she was a baby and yeah. so Calanthe had pretty much been her mother throughout her entire life. And so it makes sense how it sort of accelerates here that we have the blood mother and more so the like actual figurative mother who also happens to be a blood mother in her own right here to tell her, I want you to wake the fuck up. Yeah. Feeling like people fear Siri. They use her for their own agendas. And Calanthe says, when death came for me, it was on my terms. That's what good leaders do. They stand up to the enemy and essentially accuses Siri 
of consistently running away and hiding. It's like, first of all, Kalanthi, do you see the way that she faced down with both Rians and Kahir? She is not hiding anymore. But in probably her best acting moment of the episode, series like simultaneous sorrow and rage channeled here through Freya Allen's performance, I think is so good where she has, again, yet another clapback at this ghost. She says like, oh, you really want to talk yourself up? You are the one who led Sintra to ruin. You were ruled by hubris and fear. And so instead of helping people, you led into a cycle of violence. You let history repeat itself. You murdered people like me. You spilled elven blood, my blood. And for what? Death came for you in the end anyway. Yeah. There has to be another way. And again, I think it's a fantastic repudiation of obviously something that Siri has been holding in her heart since she found out that she was part elf last season, that her grandmother was essentially like a, a race traitor in a certain regard, that she herself was part elf. It's part of that entire bloodline. Yet she led this entire genocide of the elves that partially led to Nilfgaard wanting to turn on her. And so I think it really is this nice culmination of the fact that Ciri had so much worship for Calanthe while she was alive and has discovered so much about her in terms of her legacy and what she actually did while Ciri was behind closed doors that this is her moment to kind of confront her for it. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's great. It's a really, this is, a, this is one of my favorite scenes of the episode. And Siri is going to respond also by punching a rock, which isn't good. Yeah, typically you don't want to punch the rock. Definitely not, because you uh, he, will not he's be, cooking? he will not be saying you're welcome in response. I'll say that. He's cooking the eggs from the lizard out <laughs> in the hot sun. Can you smell that poisonous lizard? <laughs> so now Falka is finally going to go mask and hood off here as she comes back to toy with Siri a little bit. Falka is going to finally tell her story. This is something I talked about on the episode by episode recap, but just to formalize it, this is something from, I believe, the Witcher wiki. Falka was a Redanian princess who vowed revenge upon her father, King Vridnak, after, his, after he divorced her mother and cut her out of the line of succession. She launched a violent rebellion and murdered her father, stepmother, and half-brothers. During the revolt, Falka accidentally imprisoned the pregnant princess of Tamaria and Lara Darren's daughter, Rhiannon. Rhiannon would go insane while in the prison. Nevertheless, when Falka was eventually brought to justice, she too was pregnant, and she gave her child to Rhiannon to nurse before her fiery execution. Before being burned at the stake, Falka cursed the crowd assembled and told them their descendants would suffer at the hands of a child bearing her blood. Rhiannon's mental state made it so that it was unclear which of the three children she eventually brought home to Temeria were her own. And what do you know? Ciri is a direct descendant of the one child who survived to adulthood. Mm. So this is a very big reveal, Mike. Yes, a very big reveal in terms of the history of the continent that obviously the you know, Laura Darren of it all reveal from last season was a big one as well, considering how much of a mythical figure she is in elven history. But Falka is a bit more differently tinted yeah. than Laura Darren. Yeah, so uh, this is like, I don't know, the Force Dyad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of, right? <laughs> one is light, one is dark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you talk about the Targaryen of it all. I do find it interesting that Falka Falka's going to tell her story by Flip saying, a like, coin oh, to your Witcher. Yeah. Yeah. I had a talent for attracting friends. I was denied my royal destiny. And so I had to come back with the common folk to take it back with an unmistakable message, blood and fire. And I'm like, you mixed it up. It's supposed to be the other way. I know it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. So Falka is going to reveal that she went so far as to like carve her ears into elven points to try to propagate the false narrative that she was an elf because that yeah. was sort of the, the scuttlebutt about her. So it made a more simplistic narrative as to who she was and what she did. Falka is going to, again, continue this pitch to Siri, saying that she is a meat grinder run through by her own family. Her family is the one who left her to feel shame instead of pride, self-loathing instead of love, and fear instead of acceptance. I wanted the freedom to feel my rage, to stop shaming myself for what I could not control. You want to change the system, Princess Sorella? 
burn it to the ground. A much more incendiary version of Break the Wheel here, Josh. Yeah, and I think that there is a lot here that's right. Uh, like, I think a lot of this is is not wrong. Uh, and so I, I hope that Siri is, like, hearing the pieces of, like, okay, well, get in charge, get in a position of power, and change shit. I hope that she's also not going to, like, burn Nilfgaard to the ground at the same time. You know, like, all of the people, the innocents inside. Uh, it would, you know, I don't know how the Witcher novels, they're done, right? Or are they mm -hmm. still on? Okay, so I don't know how I don't know how this went. In... Wow, who would have thought, Josh, a fantasy novelist being well, able to complete an entire series? You know, so I, you know, it's certainly they beat George R.R. R. Martin to the punch, but the Game of Thrones TV show ends the way that it does. And like pop culturally, it will feel rather, uh, you know, redundant uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, derivative of the Daenerys arc if Ciri ends up following a similar journey. Um, maybe that's just how it went in the book. So if so, like, you know, uh, past precedent, hopefully like those among us who will be able to be like, listen, I can, I'm a little bit more media literate than the average bear. And this is how it was in the book. And George R. R. Martin hasn't published a thing in literally like 15 years or whatever at this point. So like, do not get mad at this. Um, but I, I think, I just think that it's going to go the other way. Uh, I think that mm. the, like she's going to hear a lot of what Falka is saying here right now, but without like the, and absolutely everything must burn as well components. Yeah, and also look at what she did in the very last episode, where I do think there is a quality of mercy to Ciri's character that as much as she wants to possibly turn to the dark side and just raise everything to the ground because the continent has not done anything good for her over the course of her life, I think there is just this capacity of a heart and a conscience to her that transcends any rage she might feel in the moment where I can imagine another situation where she like holds her father's head in her hands, ready to crush it like a bug. And she just can't do it because that's the part of Siri that will peek through. Look to a certain extent to her being possessed at the end of season two. What is the thing to drag her out of that reverie? It's not pure anger behind her family leaving her. It's love. It's Geralt saying, like, that's not real. I'm real. We're real. And so I have to imagine that facet of Siri is going to win out. Yep, I think so, too. So Siri is going to go on some adventures with Little Horse here. He's going to wake her up, and they're going to continue through the desert. I will say also when they get into the mountains, that's a really cool change in landscape. Unfortunately, it's also a change in the danger landscape as well, as here comes this odd giant scorpion-like creature that is going to skewer Little Horse, who is trying to protect her. Siri, in response, will do some badass maneuvers, namely, like, breaking off these rocks that line the hide of this creature and beat it to death with it. Seems like a pretty bad flaw in design if you can get beaten to death by the very thing that's protecting you. Well, I mean, uh, listen, I think... Uh... It's, the Wookiee will beat, will rip your arms off and beat you to death with them, right? Like you're you're not safe against yourself, Mike, under uh, against the wrong opponent. I guess that's the theme of this episode, right? You yeah. are not safe against yourself. Yeah, you're your own worst enemy. Yes. So uh, little horse ain't doing too well, and eventually it gets to a point where he is splayed out on death's door, and so Siri is going to use this opportunity to. Let the right one in, in a manner of speaking. Uh, she has nothing left to suck, <laughs> to uh -huh. quote a different blonde reality TV contestant. Uh, and so she feels like, with nothing, the only place she can turn to is fire. And Falca will win out here, saying that this is the one good thing you can do with your power. So again, maybe that speaks to what I was projecting beforehand and what you were theorizing, that the reason why she dips into the dark side here is to help someone that she cares for as she literally gives herself the hot hand to heal little horse here yeah so she is going to use those hot hands to heal little horse but little horse not particularly grateful uh for the hot hand healing yeah he's like oh shit no i had a wife and kids to go back to i ran away to the desert to get away from them now you're making me feel guilty now i have a second chance at life screw you Cirilla. But I think like, so the way that Falk is going to react to this is like, let him go. Any, anything that's afraid of you is not worth considering anymore. Uh, and like, I think like there is, there is a lot of wisdom to that too. But I think that there's also, I think like a measure of, uh, there's like, 
it's funny for like such a hot form of magic there's something very cold about that uh that attitude as well and like um you know i don't think little horse understands and i but i don't think that like if little horse could understand maybe little horse would be like oh yeah i get it <laughs> you know so like uh like totally i don't think they like, relate you know, like, I think that, like, it's it's horrible that there's, like, such a burden of having to, like, um, make that horse understand. Uh, but I think given the the time and the patience, like, there's going to be, like, acceptance from the little horses of the world, hopefully. I don't know. Uh, lots of metaphors in here, Mike. Lots of metaphors going on. Well, part of me wonders if true to her witcher status as well as her magical abilities. Again, I have Star Wars Rebels on the brain, and the main character, Ezra Bridger, has this supernatural communication with a lot of creatures amongst the galaxy. Maybe that's the case here with Siri as well, that, like, her animal handling skills are top-notch. Help me know that the family line does a good job with horses as it is. Roach even gets invoked over the course of this episode. So maybe it's just, yeah, that little horse had to run away to take care of something. I was like, oh, shit, I left the stove on, speaking of fire. And right. he'll be able to come back into the fold, and it serves that Siri is going to have this ability to connect with those that do not have a voice, which is what Falcon is essentially putting forward as well, right? I didn't yeah. have a voice, and so I spoke on behalf of myself. You could do the same. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be the climactic point of Falca's temptation here. Now, she talks a lot through this episode about the idea of history repeating itself, that Siri possesses her similar curse or gift, depending on how you look at it. And similarly to her, people are looking to either use her or destroy her. It costs the lives of Falca and Laura Doran properly, but Siri is different. You will change everything. And just to put an underline on how comparable they are, Siri is now transported into this like black void where, like Falca, the flames are licking at her heels. It seems like she is being tied at the stake. Falco, yeah, and forced to like watch everybody that she loves get like mercilessly executed. But the interesting thing is it doesn't start that way, right? As Falca is going to warn, okay, first off, there's going to be this whole like, time of contempt thing. We don't need to talk about that. But then you will take back what is yours. Your wrath is righteous. Your revenge is justice. They deserve to suffer. Make them. And we see Vilgefort staked on a cross, I think by his own staff. Kahir is all caged up. And then it turns, to your point, those who love you will betray you too, trick you. You'll always be their pawn. And so we see, like, Yaskir getting beheaded. We see Yennefer chained up. Geralt's being pulled on a torture rack like he's Wesley in The Princess Bride. And that's the thing to make Siri bulk. That's the thing to pull her out of it, is as she starts seeing her friends, she starts sobbing. And she explicitly says, I won't give them up. She says, I don't want these powers. Right. I relinquish them. Yeah. And at least my read on the situation is that like she might have been more amenable to go for this, Falka, if you didn't also throw in there, yeah, but you also got to kill everyone in your family. Sure. Yeah, I think that that's probably fair, Mike. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think that the... I think that there is a very likely read that like my desire to see Falca come back as like an adversary for Siri is going to fall flat because there is this rejection of Falca here, which is why I think that in the end of the season, while you could still read that final scene as dangerous with Siri, that there could also be something really powerful about like, this is her reclamation moment. This is like, I'm going to take the lessons that Falca taught me and I'm going to make them my own. Yeah, and I wonder how much we'll get in future seasons slash episodes, perhaps like a dark passenger quality to have Siri be this vigilante a la tonight, Dexter. Tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And to have the spirit of Falca like consistently chirping in her ear throughout of, yes, okay, now burn them all. And to have her kind of stay that away. I think that'd be an interesting way to bring it in because I think maybe we're going a bit too far in Falca still being around. I could see a version of her existing in the afterlife and perhaps communicating with Siri either magically or just perhaps invoking upon some other spirituality. But I think that's the most interesting place she could serve in the plot is like, okay, fantastic. You took my name. All right. We're going to go through with this plan, right? Of destroying everything. And then Siri will have to reckon with throughout how much will she dip into that dark side versus trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, fair questions. I think uh, we are, we are, 
able to theorize, but we are left unable to say definitively until season four in like 400 years from now. Well, we leave Siri in this episode in quite a precarious position on her back, splayed out. How in- precarious does it end up being, though? More precarious for the guys that find her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're locked in here with me. As it <laughs> turns out, this group of marauders just happened to come upon her. And initially, especially given the end of the episode that we'll get into, we are led to believe, okay, these are randos that turned her in for the Nilfgaardian reward. Technically, they were on the way to do so. They were able to clock her as the real McCoy here. Right. But- yeah, at the moment, uh, it seems like things are quite bad for Siri. She picked the wrong time to renounce her powers, though she'll be fine at the end of the day. She'll be fine at the end of the day. Um, so then there's the Yaskier stuff, right? Like, that's yep. everything with Cirilla. Uh, and the Yaskier stuff, like, I don't know how much more there is to elaborate on. Yeah, other so, than, so like... I'll quickly go through a couple points here. Yaskier is going to go to Aratuza in the ruins of it. People are still screaming in pain from the big-ass chandelier falling down and burning everything. He finds Radovid huddled by the window. They sort of make up here. Radovid is going to say that the second war has begun. Yaskier's immediate response is like, let's get you out of here. Take some of my own sandpiper smuggler routes. And Yaskier will not go all the way back to where he was. Uh, when Radovid says, just let me be there with you, prove I'm more than a mask, he simply says maybe, but it's after quite the pregnant pause. The big piece of news that Yaskier is going to bring forward is this mistaken death of Siri that Radovid points to the absolutely eviscerated tower, says that nobody has found her, and he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and Yennefer will say yeah. the same thing when they have their surprisingly warm <laughs> reunion as well. It's revealed that Geralt has been taken to Brooklyn Forest via Triss at the end of last episode, and so uh, Jaskier will indeed visit Brooklyn here. He will get in by singing a very sweet song called Enchanted Flowers in Elven, And so he is going to find Geralt, who is very much in traction, a lot of pain, still wheezing like all get out, though he'll be on the mend very, very soon, especially when Yaskier, through tears, tells Geralt that Ciri's all right. Wait, she's not all right. I'm so sorry we can't find her. And also Nilfgaard is raising everything to the ground to try to find her. But it looks like they're all their destruction netted a success at the end of the day as he presents declaration i suppose of the rescue of princess cirilla yeah so we know of course that that i mean the way that the episode ended for cirilla um you know you can make the leap because that happens before this moment with yaskier and right before yeah the end of the episode so like you can make the leap before you hit next episode that oh god she's made it all the way back and you're expecting like the dooney reunion and everything uh but of course no that's that's not quite it uh, it's Taryn instead. Um, and I have not rewatched the finale yet. So I haven't like reexamined, like, is Dooney aware of the plot or not? So that's a, a question that you're going to have to untangle, Mike, when you yeah. do the finale podcast, I'm going to have to miss out on, unfortunately. Um, but I, I do like that. Uh, I do like that sort of like retroactive, at least like level of trickery that's at play here. Like it's, uh, you know, like, this is where she is, but it ain't exactly where she is. Yeah, to perhaps project my opinion forward a bit, and I also haven't rewatched the finale, so maybe my opinion will change. But at this moment, my assumption is that plan A for Dooney and Bilgefort's by proxy was always going to be, I want Siri with me, uh, not to only have her in my clutches, but then to also like truly have claim to the continent. And when she evaded Vilgefortz at the Tower of the Gull, then they go to plan B, which they've kind of been working on this entire time of like trying to find the perfect doppelganger series, someone who is part Elvin, who has some magical ability and who we can brainwash into believing that she's Siri so that we go along with the fake in case we can't find the real one. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you'll have to let me know. And you'll have to let the listeners know as well, Mike, when you come back for the finale of The Witcher Season 3. Yeah, so as Josh, you just mentioned, unfortunately, much like Little Horse, you are taking <laughs> off into the sunset or sunrise, considering how early it was in the day. Uh, you have other travels to go to, other places to explore across this continent. And so... I will be bringing coverage of the finale, which will, of course, finish off the incredible run of Henry Cavill as Geralt of Rivia once and for all. As we get back to more of a regular, degular episode of The Witcher, we're going to stop in on a bunch of different plot points before we leave things on a bit of an ellipses. 
to see what will happen with Liam Hemsworth and the entire gang whenever season four comes into our queues. So Josh, considering this will be the last time for you to discuss The Witcher season three proper, is there anything else you want to say either about the final episode this final batch of episodes or the season overall? It's complicated, Mike. I'm invested in the story and I'm really excited to see where it goes. And yet I'm really disappointed that it's going to be without Henry Cavill. And this is not a judgment of Liam Hemsworth, who I think is a fine actor. Uh, I think that he has a really uphill battle uh, here to win people over. And it's not impossible that he'll do that. This is not exactly an unprecedented situation. There are other examples in, um, you know, uh, how many how many James Bonds does it take to screw in a light bulb? And that's a light bulb. That's a Bond girl. Uh, you know, how, <laughs> how, how many different recastings have we seen over the years? Enough, you know, enough that um, have, have worked out well and some that have worked out rather poorly. What this will end up being, who knows? Um, at this moment in time, there's still also just like questions of, when this can get up and running, uh, and given the strikes that are ongoing, I think it's going to be a while before they're even able to start shooting anything. What can change between now and then uh, is a question that I have. Uh, I don't think that there's the world where Henry Cavill comes back. Uh, I think that that's wishful thinking. And, are you uh, sure? If what it... if Ezra Miller shows up opening up the multiverse and Henry Cavill is there in his CGI form watching everything happen? then I think we have more things to worry about than The Witcher season four, uh, <laughs> if, that, if that were to happen. So, but I'm disappointed about it and I'm open to having my mind changed and I will for sure be watching it when the show comes back. Um, but it's just left in such a, um, a precarious place that like, I want to see more and yet I'm mad mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's complicated. That being said, um, I really enjoyed getting the chance to talk about the show with you, Mike. Uh, I, again, consider myself like a super duper casual fan of The Witcher. I think that that turned into just like um, probably like casual fan of The Witcher. I don't know if it's that was that an increase. Like, was that a step towards becoming like a more serious fan of The Witcher? I don't know. I feel like I get it more now mm. uh, on the other side of receiving your wisdom, Mike, which I know in many ways is earned from the wisdom of the great Angela Bloom. Oh, yeah. As, Listen, as if, well, we're, so. if we're talking about uh, descendants here and looking past at yes. those that have like uh, paved the way or prevented the way, that was very much my wife here who got me into The Witcher in so many different ways. Yeah, and so uh, Angela, to you, to me, to whoever, like this is it's it's fun to have that sort of um, uh, that chain of inspiration and and stuff. So like I've I've enjoyed the show a lot more this season as far as like the way that I really enjoy getting into TV, which is leaning in and taking a look. And I leaned in as much as I could while having not done so much of the homework in the past with The Witcher, but uh, I feel more invested in it than I felt coming into season three. Mm -hmm. And that's a successful, uh, a successful mark from the show this season. As for where it goes from here, we'll find out in probably like three years. Yeah, so we shall see. But you don't have to wait three years to get our recap of the finale. If all goes right behind the scenes, I believe DM Philly should be making his graceful return to the Witcher recap to give his thoughts of volume two as well as the finale in general. We hope you all join us as well. That will be coming out on Friday. And then to Josh's point, we lie in wait like that scorpion creature in the sands waiting for another season to spring upon us. Thank you all so much for listening. I know, again, this was a bit of a polarizing episode, but one of the reasons why I like doing the episode by episode and then beat by beat is to realize how much material, much like that water in the Oasis, can be found by kind of digging in. So I'm glad, Josh, that you and I both gained more appreciation for the episode upon beating it down a bit further into more details and especially looking ahead as to what at least the ending of series story is for now. And we're going to talk about that ending along with the endings of many of our characters next episode as we cover The Costs of Chaos, the season three finale of The Witcher. Thank you all so much for listening. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. When you listen fast to all our podcasts, an impressive feat since our network is vast. There's actually much more behind an online door. Become a patron and enjoyment will soar. So many different perks.
a Discord to lurk, get early releases, and maybe some merch. Podcast exclusively, like Extra and YA. It's but tons of content to fill out your day. Toss a coin to Patreon. Support post show recaps. Support post show recaps. Oh. Toss a coin to Patreon. Come join our community.